Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. I have a friend who lived in open adultery for 18 years. He was not a Christian at the time, and he was not shy about his lifestyle. His wife is like Mabel in my ongoing series here about help. My marriage has grown cold. She knew about most of his sins. My friend's wife chose to honor God by staying in the marriage. She did not have to do this because she had biblical grounds for divorce, but she decided to stick it out with her adulterous husband and a whole list of, of other sins, more than I would ever know, uh, but they were horrendous what I did know. There is no doubt that God gave her supernatural grace to persevere through her husband's many sins. He finally repented of his sins in June of 1988, the day that God regenerated him. Since then, he has faithfully loved and served his family in the context of a local church. The story of my friend is analogous to Biff and Mabel's story. I have been talking over the past, this is now the eighth lesson or the eighth chapter uh, in my book, Help My Marriage Has Grown Cold. I have been telling the story of Biff and Mabel. Mabel caught Biff in pornography and, and it just opened up an entire can of worms, not only about Biff's addiction that has been going on, uh, for several decades, but it began to highlight some things that were covert in Mabel's heart. And through the heat of what was happening in Biff's life, that as it was bearing down on Mabel, she recognized that there was a theological substructure that was askew. There was a misunderstanding and application of the gospel. There was a worship structure that was idolatrous, and there were shaping influences that fed that worship structure. Well, as I have been working with Mabel now over eight lessons, she has been turning. She has been repenting. She has been applying the gospel practically to her life. And she's starting to learn things about God, which have been absolutely transforming. She's learning things about herself as the light of God's gospel is shining into her heart. And she's getting ready to now turn her sights on Biff in a, a loving way. But she wants the gospel to advance in his life as well as it has advanced in her life. This horrendous event in Biff's life that has been so traumatic on Mabel's soul, she's now seen as the mercy and kindness and goodness of God. And she has been persevering through it all. And similar to my friend whose wife endured just incredible suffering, through all of those years, she has seen God do a remarkable work. And this is where we are with Mabel and her story. If you have not read my book, it is a free digital download. There are nine chapters to it. It's at lifeovercoffee.com. Go to our store and you can have it. You can give the link to anybody that you wish, and they can have a free copy as well. I want you to have this long-form case study as it works through some important aspects, not just of counseling, but theology and, and psychic things that apply to all of us, meaning things that are common to all of our souls, the meaning of psychology, the study of the soul. Mabel had to confront her soul about her present difficulty short and long-term effects. She was in a bad place and she did not know it. 
but now she is learning. And there really is no prescription for how to respond in a marriage like this, whether it's Biff and Mabel's marriage or the friend that I have just illustrated for you. And so we want to carefully process what my friend's wife did, but also what Mabel did. So this is not a prescription for anyone, but there are some concepts that will be beneficial for everyone, though it might not be the path that you should take. Because each situation is different, the offended parties must search God's Word. They must seek competent counsel to discover a path forward. Because I knew my friends in the opening illustration I shared with you, I spent many, many hours talking to the gentleman's wife and trying to help her as she navigated through this path forward that she was committed to do, and she stayed at the task, and she saw God's grace in a remarkable way. But it did not come soon and it did not come easy. It took many years and there were many setbacks. Well, Mabel has done a similar thing. She has chosen to meet God in the crucible of suffering, knowing that He was with her through thick and thin. These two stories remind me of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Though his family was in absolute disarray, Joseph knew that God was with him and God was working good in Joseph's life. So no matter what you are going through, whatever your situational challenge is, your relational difficulty or personal problem, you need to know that God is there. Now, it could be that you are not a Christian. I realize that our content goes outside the parameters of Christianity, for which I am thankful. I want to reach as many people as we possibly can with the practical message of Christ, and because of the redemptive use of technology, we don't have a lot of control as to who sees or hears what. And I'm grateful from time to time that we hear stories as people write in that they are not familiar with Jesus, or they have a limited familiarity with Christianity. And so I don't know where you are, if you you have a relationship with Christ, but if you do have a relationship or if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that would be the starting point. Christ is a Savior. He is the Savior, and He will save your soul. Not only will He save your soul, but God will navigate your life's journey, and He will help you. Now, there will be twists and turns, and when I say that God will help you, that journey may take you through the crucible of suffering, because sometimes that is the path that we must walk through in order to experience the goodness and greatness of God in our lives in a way that that transforms us. It's similar to uh, any kind of medicine or surgery that we have to go through. It's not easy and it is painful, but the outcome can be salvific. It can be redemptive. And this is exactly what happened in Joseph's life. As you read the story of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis, we see that he had tidied things up with his brothers. We also see that there was a redemptive purpose in all the suffering that came into his life as he told his brothers, ye meant it for good, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about these redemptive purposes. And then as the book closes, the next book opens. Moses opens the book, and it's the book of Exodus, and he gives us this little tidbit. 
Here's the sentence. I remember the first time I read it where it just leapt off the page. Maybe this will happen to you. The text says in Genesis, uh, in Exodus 1.5, it says, All the descendants of, ja- of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. That last little phrase there is just absolutely stupendous. Joseph was already in Egypt, and that is the point that I want to focus on uh, for the next few minutes, and I want to make the application to Mabel's life. I've titled this, God is Already There. This is chapter 8 in the book, Help, My Marriage Has Grown Cold. And chapter 8, again, is titled, God is Already There. And so when Moses opens the book of Exodus, he lets us know that God is doing a great work in this Exodus, and he has already prepared the way because Joseph was already in Egypt, according to Exodus 1.5. Whether or not you know where you are going, there is an abiding truth that is universal and applicable to everyone. Regardless of your destination, before you get there, you can know, you can rest, you can trust in the fact that God is already there. You cannot go anywhere where God is not waiting for you when you arrive. It is impossible to go ahead of Him or to step outside of His plans for you. In good times, in bad times, know that God is ahead of you, waiting and ready to take care of you. This is what I wanted Mabel to see. The finding out of Biff's pornography habituation was absolutely devastating, but it was not a surprise to God. He was already there. When Mabel came to counseling, God was already there, and he was prepared to guide her. And as she moved through every step of the way, God was right ahead of her, preparing the way for her, creating this path that she did not know where it was going. She was walking by faith, but the object of her faith was God Almighty because he was out in front and he was leading the way. The Israelites knew things would never be the same in their homeland. There was turmoil. There was a famine. They were in dire straits, and the famine had spread beyond normal discomfort, and families struggled to make ends meet. Then God uprooted them and sent them to Egypt. From their initial perspective, there was little hope for a change of circumstance. They were still relying on themselves. They were still leaning into a self-sufficient spirit as they were trying to manipulate this man called Joseph, this man, this this leader in, in Egypt. And so from their perspective, there was little hope. It was not exactly clear what they should do to resolve their problems. Thus, they did what they always did. They would sin in order to accomplish some pragmatic outcome. From their limited understanding, they had no idea of the plans that God had made for them. And that is exactly where Mabel was. And that's why it's important that when you're going through a difficult time, you want to hook your wagon up to a competent disciple maker, a competent Christian who has the courage and the compassion to speak into your life, someone who understands God's Word. You don't want to isolate when things are troubling in your soul or in your life. So God was preparing a way, and sometimes he uses people in his preparation, which is exactly the purpose of Joseph. That was why he was already in Egypt. 
But his brothers and the rest of the band, the 70, they could only see the trouble through the front windows of their caravans. And then in the early verses of Exodus 1, the writer tells us that the Israelites, they left their homes and they headed to an unknown place called Egypt. And though the text does not say it, I'm sure that some of them struggled with the disruption of their homes. They were made uncomfortable. Most certainly, some of them would have wavered in their faith about those upheavals. I know that I would because I have been in similar straits before. I would love to report to you in my pride that I have always responded courageously and as a man of faith, but that is not true. When I look into the future, as I look through the window of my caravan, and I'm not sure where we're going or, or what's going to meet us when we get there, I can forget that little phrase in, in Exodus chapter 1, verse number 5, that Joseph was already in Egypt. And I have to remind myself, that God is in front, He has prepared the way, and He has something in front of me and for me that's going to help me. Now, it might not be easy. It might be a crucible of suffering. But again, I'm more dialed in, or I need to be more dialed in on the goodness of God than the safety of the situation. Let me ask you, have you ever had an experience when God rearranged the circumstances of your life, leading you in an undesirable and even undisclosed direction? I'm sure you have, and it would be a good time to evaluate, not to beat yourself up, because if you, especially if you made poor decisions during that time, but it would be good to evaluate so that you can have somewhat of an understanding of what these Israelites were going through. Have you ever stood at the point at a point when all options seem to line up with personal suffering and hardship in your future. Many of us have been there, and that's why it's so important that we need to hear this message. I have been counseling Mabel all along for eight uh, sessions now. We have been meeting, and I have been working on some significant things in her psyche and giving her practical application that she can live daily in the good of the gospel. But now I'm about ready to point her toward her her home. I'm about ready to point her toward her husband who is not cooperating the way that she had hoped. And he himself is entangled in a porn addiction. And so she needs to recognize his story from Exodus. That is, it is her story as well. And if you have been in that place, you can understand what the children of Israel were going through. You also know what has to be going through Mabel's mind. Now, understanding this will help you to disciple that Mabel in your life. When you are working with someone who is having to go into an unknown, undisclosed situation where there could be potential danger to varying degrees, you want to think this way as well and remind yourself also that God is there, that he has prepared the way. The Israelites were leaving all they knew. They had made their plans, but God was reordering their steps. Their experience was going to be a total lifestyle change. People, places, things were disrupted, and they could do nothing about it. Now, that is the place to where we need to be, honestly, even though it's not a desirable place that any of us would want to be. But when we are in a place of weakness, that is truly when God's strength is perfected in us. And so God's mighty power was being exhibited the weaker that they became. Now, initially, when they went to Egypt,
Egypt. They were a very self-reliant group, and so they were manipulating the situation. They were still conniving like they always did. And so God just turned up the heat into their lives until they were brought down to a level of, of absolute weakness where they could not fix the problem, and they had to humble themselves, total vulnerability. And when they did, that is when God shone at His mightiest. They were being relocated by difficult and unwanted circumstances. It reminds me of Paul, of what he was saying in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. <laughs> Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope and he will deliver us again. It's important that we understand what Paul was saying there. And one of the things that he was saying is that he was educating uh, his readers because he did not want them to misinterpret the difficulties that they were going through. And this is one of the messages that Mabel will need to communicate to Biff. Biff, I don't want you to be unaware of what was happening to you, what was happening to me, what was happening to our marriage, that God was pushing us beyond our strength. I was so mad at you. I was so overwhelmed by your porn addiction. There was nothing that I could do to extricate myself from this problem. It was totally completely decimating and traumatic to my soul. I was pushed beyond my strength. But out of that, God led me in a proper direction. He was in front of me the whole way. And I began to learn things about God that I did not know. And one of those things that I learned was to rely on Him who raises the dead. I realized that I had a self-sufficient spirit. And so in order to break a self-sufficient spirit, you have to push someone beyond their strength, which is exactly what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 1. And Biff needs to hear that message because he is relying on a self-reliant spirit in his porn addiction. He's using his pornography as a means to satiate his soul, as a means to escape from whatever it is that he is escaping from. It is now an ensconced habituation in his life, and it is beyond his ability to rectify this situation. And so he needs to be brought to that, have that ongoing bringing to that place to where he is beyond his strength until he finally learns to rely on him who raises the dead. And so Paul was very much like the Israelites in the day of Exodus. And in the context of the Israelite disruption, the writer inserts those five little words into the text. Joseph was already in Egypt. The meaning is more profound than letting the other Israelites know where their relative was. Sure, now you can geolocate Joseph, and that's a good thing. Where is he? He is in Egypt. Yeah, okay, that's great. But this story is about how and why of Joseph's being in Egypt. And as you begin to unpack Joseph's prior circumstances, his troubles, his journey to Egypt, you realize that there is something more significant than suffering that is happening here. And then as you read about his rise to prominence and the ensuing famine in his homeland and the disruption of an entire nation, you begin to glimpse at God's kindness to his people through suffering.
It took the Israelites a long time to realize that God orchestrated Joseph's relocation. It was his divine and loving hand that was guiding Joseph. And it's God's divine and loving hand that is guiding Bilf and Mabel, though their life just felt like it was falling apart, and it is still on the ragged edge of where they are currently. Regardless of your situation, I can most assuredly tell you that God is already there, that He is ahead of you, that He is preparing the way, so that when you arrive, there will be no doubt that you're walking in paths of righteousness that He has cut through this fallen land. Though Biff has a ways to go and Mabel's marriage is not all that she would like, she's doing better today. She is loving God genuinely and trusting Him sincerely while serving Him practically and also serving her husband. Mabel knows that God is with her. Mabel knows that she was cutting her path, ignoring the red lights and the construction barrels. But God can use sin sinlessly, and now that He has her attention through this devastation that has come into their lives, she's ready for the first time to rely on Him who raises the dead. This is chapter 8. It is titled, God is Already There. This is Mabel's, this is Mabel's message of admonition, but also encouragement as she's setting her sights on doing this redemptive work in her husband's life. Again, she still has work to do, uh, but she has a good start as she is fixated now on the freedom that she has in Christ, and she's ready for the advancement of the gospel. Now, in chapter 9, I am, it is going to be a straight-up working through homework assignments, projects, task list, because this is one of the more common questions that is asked. Uh, what do we give people to do? What are some good homework assignments? And so I wanted to be thorough in this long-form case study. Not only present the case study that I did in chapter one, but spend six chapters working through the analysis and the prescription uh, to get into Mabel's heart idolatry. And then the last couple have been about encouraging Mabel as she starts to step out uh, to do the work that God has called her to do now that she's more situated with her relationship with God. And then the final chapter, chapter 9, will be homework and projects, not to do in a week, but actually to do over a series of months. But I have collected them in one spot in the final chapter of this book, Help, My Marriage Has Grown Cold. Now, I do want you to go to our store. I want you to download it. I want you to benefit from it because you can uh, if you would do that. And then if you would collect all nine of these articles that are written on our website at lifeovercoffee.com. And then you can listen to the 30-minute podcast or watch the 30-minute videos because I talk a lot more than doing just a straight read through the text that's in that digital download. But you can have all of these resources collected and you can benefit personally from them. And then I would love for you to use them for training and helping people in discipleship issues, but also people who are going through difficult and disappointing circumstances like what Mabel has been doing. And so this final chapter, not the final chapter before, it is the one before the homework, but in chapter 8, it's titled, God is Already There. And before I wrap up, I do want to ask you a few questions so that you can apply. Question number one, can you see God's kindness through your suffering? Now, this is not a Christian speak 
question. This is not a Christianese question. Genuinely, can you see God's kindness through your suffering? And maybe the answer to that question is no. And if that is, that's just where you are. And honestly, that's fine, in in air quotes. That's fine because that's where you are. You need to know where you are. You don't want to to fake or answer a question to pass a test, and that could be the temptation for some people, but you just want to honestly assess, and if you can't see God's kindness through your suffering, well, then that means that it is out there in the future, and at some future date, you will see God's kindness through your suffering if you choose to persevere with God. I would imagine that as the Israelites left Egypt, that the kindness of God was not the first thing on their on the radar of their caravan. Uh, it was probably quite a while before they began to see God's kindness through their suffering, and that is how it goes. When Mabel came to counseling because of the uh, Biff's porn addiction, she did not see God's kindness at all. And when she began to discover these things that were embedded in her psyche, she didn't see God's kindness in that either. And so it took some work to excavate and to remove the stuff that has buried sound biblical thinking in her heart and mind. But as those things were being removed from her life, she began to see there was a glimmer of hope that turned into full-blown God's kindness in her life question is, can you see God's kindness through your suffering? If you can't, that is okay. We can get there if you persevere. Number two, what is an area of self-reliance that you struggle to give to the Lord? And what is your plan to relinquish your rights to your life? If you haven't done a deeper study on self-sufficiency or self-reliance, I would encourage you to do a search uh, on our website. This is one of the cornerstone topics of our entire ministry. Fear of man is one. Biblical decision-making is another. Self-reliance is one as well. There are some significant resources that are absolutely essential in our ministry because they have universal application, and self-reliance probably is at the top of the list. And so I have written a lot about it for many, many years now. I've got scores of videos and articles, webinar podcast. It's all there at lifeovercoffee.com. And if you're not familiar with self-reliance or self-sufficiency, I would just appeal to you to become familiar with it because it's your problem just as much as, as it is mine. But if you don't know that, Mabel didn't know it. And as you go back and listen to the earlier counseling sessions with her, you will see that she was very much unaware of how her anger at God, her fear of God, her ignorance of God was sabotaging her faith, motivating her to lean into a self-reliant spirit that led to some awful decisions in her life. The question is, what's an area of self-reliance that you struggle to give to the Lord? Number three, what does knowing that God is ahead of you, working His plans for your arrival mean? That would be a good discussion question with a friend as you do life over coffee with a close friend. I would love for you to talk about what does it mean God is ahead of you, working His plans for your arrival. And I would love for you to think practically about it, not spiritualizing it, because uh, we can so easy go into bumper sticker mode and Oh, yeah, God is great. He's ahead of you. Praise God. I'm so encouraged by that. 
Well, let's just set that aside. And what does that mean practically? How does it inform your thinking? How does it inform how you communicate to others? How you care for others? How does it take your mind captive when those rogue thoughts start to set up these thought fortresses that want to sabotage your faith? What does knowing that God is ahead of you, that we're making our plans, but He is ordering our steps, and He's working His plans for our arrival? And then finally, question number four. Do you know that your Father cares deeply for you, and nobody can overturn His plans for you? Now that is a yes or no question by design, but there is a follow-up. The follow-up is, how does this change you, practically speaking? So if you know that God cares deeply for you, and if you know that nobody can thwart His plans for you, then how does that change you practically? Or how has it changed you practically? If it hasn't changed you practically, then this is a conversation that is in your immediate future, and I would encourage you to have this conversation with someone very soon. We have to know that God's love for us is deeper than we could ever imagine and that His omnipotence will not allow anyone to overturn His plans for us. However, as you think about that question, you have to have enough awareness to know that sometimes His plans are going to lead through the Garden of Gethsemane. Sometimes His plans is going to uproot you from the nation of Israel. Sometimes His plans are going to lead you into a den of lions. And so we have to understand this. And so that has to be part of our practical understanding of God's deep love for us. And nothing will thwart His plans, even if those plans are uprooting us from all that we have ever known. This is chapter 8. God is already there. It is eight of nine chapters in my book, Help. My marriage has grown cold. Please take advantage of that book at our store. Download it. Tell a friend. Go through the book with friends. And at the end of each chapter are these questions. And so this is or could be a long-term homework assignment. If you want other help, especially on suffering, then I would encourage you to get my book, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. This is an autobiographical book as God uprooted me and took me through the crucible of suffering. It is well articulated in that book, and many people have benefited from it. I also have Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. This is a superb discipleship book. You're doing one anothering with another individual. I would encourage you to get Change Me. And of course, what we've been going through here, Help My Marriage Has Grown Cold, we're talking about marriage counseling, and I have written a marriage counseling book called Get Ready. I would encourage you to go through that book as well. Uh, for folks who are getting ready to get married, and for those that have already uh, tied the knot, uh, this book is for both demos. Those are before the wedding, those who are after wedding, who want to do some rethinking, recalibrating, readjusting, and this book, Get Ready, will help you, as many people have affirmed. If we can serve you in any way, the best recommendation that I can give you is to go to lifeovercoffee.com and just hit that little magnifying glass in the upper right-hand corner and just type in a word or a phrase, and you will find tons of content that will drop down, and you can start your study, you can start one another with a close friend. Chapter 8 from my book, Help My Marriage Has Grown Cold, is titled, God Is Already There. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. 
Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.